Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. My name is Scott Challoner and you join us on another sunny day here in the capital as once again we bring together a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. Later on in today's programme, we're going to be joined by 1966 FIFA World Cup winner Sir Jeff Hurst, the only man to this day to have netted a hat-trick in the final of a World Cup. But first and foremost, I'm delighted to have Michael Coomba alongside me. Michael is the owner of River Trace Engineering Limited, a firm specialised in water quality monitoring. Mike, very warm welcome to you and thank you ever so much for joining us. Yeah, good morning. Good morning, Mike. Um, it's a real pleasure having you. And the reason we're here, of course, is to discuss your take on leadership. But considering that today's generation of business leaders, I think it's fair to say, is going through one of the greatest challenges of our time in the shape of COVID-19. I think it would be remiss of me not to ask you just how the pandemic has affected you and your business operations. Well, it's, been, uh, it's been a very interesting period, uh, certainly unprecedented. Uh, we've been in business for 36 years. We've been through, I think, three major recessions, but um, nothing can prepare business for the uh, for the effects of COVID. Um, we're we're probably running about eighty five percent of where we would normally be. We're fairly fortunate in certain respects that uh, that we're predominantly an export business, so we uh, we manufacture goods in the UK and we export to around sixty five countries worldwide. Uh, via uh, 50 distributor agents. Uh, internally, it's been a uh, it's been a real eye opener, a real challenge. Uh, thankfully, we haven't had to furlough anybody. Uh, I think the worst um, was we had to put two uh, people on two weeks holiday. Thereafter, we changed our uh, internal processes and um, delivered kits of, of components to to those that were working from home. Um, office staff uh, have been effectively covering each other, so they've been taking turnip days uh, to be at home. But pretty much we've uh, we've managed to um, to way through it. Cash flow is positive, order book is, is positive, but we've just had to learn a, uh, a new way of doing business. Our business is, is very much customer-facing, um, so getting out to see people has been all been possible. We deal with a lot of uh, a lot of ships around the world, and even though they are now back at work, there is no um, uh, there's no opportunity to actually um, get to see them face to face and, and press the flesh. So the majority of our contacts has, has had to be via email, Teams, Zoom, that kind of thing. So it's a it's a very strange world for us being um, being you know so customer facing, but. Uh, no, so far it's it's um, it's survivable. That's certainly positive to hear. And you say, of course, that there are some things that you have actually learned business-wise from this period. Could you perhaps provide an example of some of the things that you have taken away as a positive? Yeah, I think the communication we've had to learn to communicate uh, both internally and externally in a, in a completely new new way. Uh, we've utilised a lot of um, new IT. Uh, so we've upped our, um, our uh, video conferencing ability. Um, we've concentrated a lot on our digital profile, through all the various channels, um, and we've just made sure that we, uh, we where we can't meet people, we, we call them to just find out how things are going on in, in their area. 
So, yeah, exhibitions we would normally um, attend uh, either by visiting or actually having our own presence at probably about five exhibitions a year. Every single one of those has been moved or cancelled. So uh, that's been a, a, to the detriment of, of catching up with old contacts and potentially making new contacts. And, and we certainly see that reflected in, in the business. But um, 85% is where we're at. And you know, we, can, um, we can happily survive on that until this, um, this crisis is over. Uh, the more concern is uh, when it'll be over and um, will we ever get back to a pre-COVID uh, level uh, based on, just on, on business confidence? Thinking about whether we will ever revert to what we saw pre-pandemic, are there any specific sort of features of the lockdown period, particularly with regard to new working practices, that you think could become a permanent fixture of the way that business works in the UK? Yeah, I think uh, I think the longer this goes on, the more people are, are having to turn to um, more electronic means of uh, contact. Um, business travel, if we look at flights, you know, we're, say we're predominantly export, so we would normally be flying uh, all around the world. I don't see that there's any appetite for anybody really to get on a, on a flight anytime soon. I think mass gatherings at exhibitions where you've got 10, 20, 30,000 people crammed into uh, exhibition halls, I think that could well become a thing of the past um, because generally people are, are frightened. And until there's a, uh, an effective uh, vaccine, I don't see that, uh, that uh, returning to normal. And being in a business leadership position where, of course, the responsibility for carrying your firm through this essentially falls upon your shoulders, when you know that a challenge such as COVID-19 or a great or a challenge such as a recession is sort of on the horizon, how do you mentally sort of steel yourself to grapple with that? Well, it's, a, it's an unprecedented challenge. Um, if we look at, you know, our budgets and forecasts and if somebody asks me to, to forecast the next 12 you know, 24, 36 months, uh, it was difficult enough without a crystal ball to do that before the pandemic. Uh, at the moment, quite honestly, I, I don't even know where to start. Um, the first thing uh, as uh, my responsibility is to make sure that my staff are aware of, of the situation, uh, that they, um, they're encouraged by various different uh, business avenues that we're, we're exploring, uh, that we maintain a, a safe um, operating practice, and uh, and their welfare really has to uh, has to come first. So that's my first responsibility: is to make sure that the the team are on board. Um, they they buy into what we're doing. Uh, they feel safe um, and uh, and not vulnerable. And in terms of safeguarding their mental health and well-being during this period, how has that been as a challenge? Because I can imagine you've had to have sort of one or two quite sensitive conversations at some point. Yeah, with a couple of um, couple of staff, and we've got 28, um, two of the staff do have vulnerable um, either, either relatives or, or partners. So they naturally have been more concerned than, than other people. Um, but I have to say they've, They've worked with us. We've changed the way that we work with, with them. Um, and I say this remote working, um, it, it costs. It, it's put more cost on the uh, uh, on the business, but not. Um, but it's a wearable cost. 
it's not something that we're we're particularly concerned at. Uh, having said that, now they're even the ones that are shielding are now back at work. Uh, we've got we're fortunate enough to have sufficient space that we can easily socially distance, and we've been running various different activities. Uh, we've taken the staff out on golf. We've got a go karting um, uh, night coming up. Um, I think to some of the other staff, they've got an afternoon tea booked at a local uh, hotel. So, from a, a morale point of view, I think we're I think we're in really good shape, and that's tantamount to uh, the people that we employ. It leads me on to a really nice quote from Nelson Mandela, actually, surround yourself with people who are better than you. And I think for anybody starting out in business, I think considering that the people that you employ and surrounding yourself with good and positive people, that's one of the best pieces of advice you can give to anybody, really, isn't it? Oh, I I couldn't uh, couldn't agree more. I think um, as a business leader, to think that you actually know best is, uh, is a fundamental mistake. You should always employ people smarter than you but you just need to be in a position to, to work out um, that they are uh, advising you in the right direction. Uh, and that's a key leadership skill. But yeah, to believe that, uh, that you know better, I think, is a, is a, is a forward errand. Mm. And I think it's important to remember as well that we're not infallible, are we? We are, of course, going to make mistakes along the way. And hence why the COVID-19 situation has been described as such a learning curve for so many people. Hindsight's, of course, a wonderful thing, but people are, of course, doing what they think is best at the time. And then later on down the line, people might think, well, maybe that's not the best thing I could have done, but we'll embrace it and we'll sort of take it forward. Making mistakes is just part and parcel of life, isn't it? And that's why we shouldn't really be implementing a blame culture within business today. No, not not at all. I think uh, without mistakes, you can't learn from the past, and we we need to learn from the past what worked and what what didn't work to be able to sort of move move things uh, forward. Um, and one of the biggest mistakes I think is to make um, is indecision. You should go you should go with your gut gut instinct, um, and if it's wrong, then uh, then you you adapt and uh, and move forward. Of course, correct me if I'm wrong on this, uh, Mike, but I believe that you've been owner of the River Trace Engineering business since um, the 1980s, 1984, I think, to be exact. Um, reflecting on that, if you could go back to that year with all of the experience that you have under your belt now, is there anything that you would do differently? Yeah, one of the things I, I would have done, and, I, as, uh, and I've got a huge regret that I didn't, was um, I didn't employ an operations director um, 10, 15, 20 years ago. Uh, so for me, I was very much um, in the business rather than on the business. Uh, and that is a it, that is a classic mistake of, of small businesses. You deal with too much um, minutiae and sometimes, and you don't have the capacity then to, to look forward more strategically. So I, I took on a, uh, an operations director uh, just over two years ago, and it's been absolutely revolutionary. New ideas, new processes, KPIs, um, absolutely fantastic, and that's enabled me to concentrate more on the strategic of the company and what I actually like doing best, which is um, research and development. 
And having reflected on the uh, the past there for a moment, it only serves that we talk about the future just before we do wrap things up uh, today. Um, we know that over the next year or so, until we sort of shrug off the shackles of COVID-19, we'll have to adjust to a new way of living and working under new safety procedures. Um, but what during that period do you think is on the horizon for you and for River Trace? And what are you really hoping to achieve during that time? Well, it's interesting to, to listen to a, an HSBC um, uh, economist uh, webinar, and it was saying that um, we will get two-thirds of our uh, economy back within 12 months, but the final third could take three or four years. Um, and that's, uh, that's quite scary, and that's to get back to pre-COVID uh, levels. So that tells me that you know, I have to then look at other markets that ordinarily I wouldn't have wouldn't have looked at. And we're very fortunate in much as we uh, we put a, a lot of effort into R and D. We collaborate with um, people like Imperial College London on uh, on knowledge transfer partnerships. So that's driving new product development into areas where we know there is there is a market. So rather than holding back on that, we're we're putting even more. Uh, resource into those areas. Uh, so for, for River Trace, um, you know, I think we've got a reset. So this year is just going to be a, a reset. Um, and we have to take that. We are the right side of the line. So we are making uh, profit. Um, we're not on target to, to hit what we what we wanted to. You know, this is unprecedented. But I think for, we will, as River Trace, I think we will get back and surpass pre-COVID levels probably within the next 24 months let's certainly hope so and um i think mike um given just how informative it's been having you with us on the show today it would be fantastic to catch up at some point in the future and have you back on just to see whether that projection is uh, very much on track and there'll hopefully be some really positive news to share at that point yeah absolutely happy to uh, to share that, uh, that information with you yeah, that'd be wonderful. I mean, it's been really enjoyable for me having you join us on the uh, the programme today, Mike. Really, really thoroughly enjoyed our discussion. And most importantly, until we do hopefully speak again in future, please do continue to take care and stay safe with all still going on as well. Yeah, absolutely. And the same to uh, thank you too. And I would reiterate that message to all of the listeners tuning in today as well. Do continue to look after yourselves and others. It does make a real, real difference in saving lives. Um, I was speaking on today's programme to Michael Coomber, owner of River Trace Engineering Limited. Um, next up on today's programme, I'll be handing over to Jonathan White for his exclusive interview with England's 1966 FIFA World Cup hero, Sir Jeff Hurst. Um, Sir Jeff, during his professional football career, scored over 200 league goals for the likes of West Ham United and Stoke City, but he m- remains most renowned for the fact that he is of course the only man to have scored a hat-trick in the final of a FIFA World Cup to this day following his treble in England's 4-2 win over West Germany at the Old Wembley 54 long years ago now. I hope that you all enjoy listening just as much as Jonathan relished the opportunity to speak with Sir Jeff and all of that is of course coming up next. Uh, We're now joined uh, though by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final so Jeff Hurst uh, thank you very much for coming on today uh, you're welcome you're welcome good afternoon uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times but when you got out for a duck playing for Essex uh, Jeff what was going through your head at the time <laughs> well of course that's not one of the most asked questions I get oh there, there are one or two people who are very familiar um, who, who do google me realize that I did uh, score nothing for Essex uh, my only game for Essex first team 
when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool, many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, and, um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be <laughs> playing, I guess, had one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or or football, obviously the importance of leadership it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at the football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He and He's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess he would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd worked with. So you're very fortunate. I think you, you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood and, of course, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that of that calibre can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's, that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with, with a manager like, like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players. And of course, they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more? Was it Peter's? I think probably, well, I was very fortunate to play with the calibre of the players I did. Again, again, extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters, who was a fantastic player. And some, as far as Martin's concerned, I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved and what a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Noor. Although he was only... Uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more, looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy with the same age group as me. And I looked at how he how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly in all walks of life, leadership is at the top, is absolutely vital for a, a, for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident, I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships, and you could almost tell when you walked into the business, uh, in a, many of the car dealerships, you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you 
that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the, the value and quality of leadership. And that's why I'm very fortunate to be involved with my career in those early days with two, two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Alf Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that. But obviously, uh, after uh, oh, at West Ham, your uh, plane came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man, I'm sure, when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, especially with Alf Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand, whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you. It can have a great impact on your, <laughs> your career and, of course, your life. But yep. in that era I was involved for six or seven years, he it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very, very strict. Probably at a time... At, Maybe overly strict, but at times you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across, and very few people. And he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people, and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn sheet, and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned and I've taken on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in a group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless with that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious ones I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think... Uh a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, if you could uh, perhaps pick right now, that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team, or certainly in the squad, and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it, but looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of a group. Um, so that that's that's for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it only a few games before. I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be playing in, in the team but uh, in a couple of friendly games more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway I think in Denmark mm. I didn't I played two of the four games and I probably didn't quite replicate my my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England and he, he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay he started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Allen. So I, I had an impact of thinking I at that stage I, like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back in the team because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Lee's leg. 
And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I, I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think mm. I was just happy to be, you know, be involved in the squad initially. Um, not at all. I didn't, you're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really, looking back out now. So I never really felt people talk about pressure a lot and it's there and people players talk about people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessarily feel any great pressure pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he'd moved one or two players out, the squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again the leadership that I'll show you, you got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very, I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Um, we had some great players, but overall they were great hard-nosed professional players um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realise there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I, I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows. In fact, starting this week, over the next uh, two or three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about 20 minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And the, the, there's, I won't mention both. They're too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, the other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the, the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And, of course, I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal. And I looked round, put my foot on the ball, and looked round for a little while, and said, "Oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch." So that—I've uh, been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that, and saying, "Yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited, but just had a, look, had a glance round, you know." Maybe it does prove there are things that, such as stupid questions, really. Um... Oh yeah, there are. There certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you with. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Lines, Jersey or Jersey, two or three years ago, and most stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely, but I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then, but we. Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can think, tell you if you want, you want, you got time, I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on, go on. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay, so I was uh, doing a. a at a dinner in the Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honour. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about 20 minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening. And there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden, I heard a, somebody at the back who 
who asked the question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Is- uh, well, uh, and we, you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like that. I, just, but then again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did, uh, um, it did make again, laugh that If you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. <laughs> um, but there, there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff, I think. Um, you, you were a young man when... See, this happened when you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you, or did you just realise that by, by one way or the other, people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new, a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are there are people who pay you compliments of, of uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and, of course, in, uh, England fans who... Um, I, I think probably uh, it would be very immodest of me to, to suggest that I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, well, you, but, you don't but, uh, have to, but I will. Uh, well, um, it's, it's OK for a third party to do it, uh, perhaps. Um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you, and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a, a helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitch is people must realise that that's, that has an influence. How you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team latterly. Um, yeah. And and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader? Um, well, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think. Some of the outstanding. I think the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals, or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely, that's, that's absolutely leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson, who's just absolutely mm. 
you've got to take him as the first example because Klopp's only done this over a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the 25, 26, 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United and subsequently since he's gone, how they they are not doing so well. He's the best example of management I've seen, we've seen, we've probably ever seen. And I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again. It's absolutely astonishing, astonishing. And do you think, could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think, yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they, uh, Ron Greenwood, yeah, the answer, straightforward answer is yes. Um, That's a they, <laughs> The straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with, um, and I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England, who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership but uh, companionship and and level headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later. Well, I think we were, I was very fortunate, and I wouldn't take any one player out. I think looking at so that, many. yeah, so many, and that's why we were successful because we had so many um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team. I think that that was outstanding, and uh, uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about. Uh, all of them in, in that breath, and there was nobody. And I'm going back from an earlier earlier question for me. The um, all hard nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days every year uh, up until about five years ago. Of course, with, with the sadly dwindling yes. numbers, we we still got on. Our wives got on with, all together. All those years later, it didn't just finish. After '66, that reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. the, um, getting on with each other, lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't I, when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those, I would pick every one of the eleven players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else; they were all outstanding, and I think that was. A big part, I can't stress how big Absolutely. a part that was, and I've said that many, many times, for the success of the team. We have some great and players, it, we have some great players, of course, but without the attitude <laughs> alongside that, going back to an earlier question, you, we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately, ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the, the, the whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts, but with it. Yes, the word, the, word is team. The, word is t- the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk sometimes. Uh, together, everyone achieves more, and that—that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, Jeff, uh, looking—if if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life, what would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single minded. Single-mindedness, dedication, dedication to the job, 
um, thinking about that 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 role, that job in leadership all the time. It's a huge part of your life. But it, it, I don't think you can switch off when you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level. You may, you know, have a, way, have a couple of weeks holiday, but I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm, I'm sure there's not, uh, there's, they will not switch off for, for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation. And I think that's, you're completely focused, you're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to nice to have a talk about this and just go over this, go with the past and just uh, refresh my mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I've been your host, Scott Challoner. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, or other guests of any other person therein associated.